Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so happy you're here today. Today, I want to talk about self-leadership. If you want to be an exceptional leader, you need to be an exceptional self-leader. Self-leadership is the way you lead yourself. It's taking full ownership of your attitude, effort, communication, and well-being. To demonstrate self-leadership, I want to share a few stories with you. First, I'll take you back to when I was in the ninth grade. I had an English teacher who I couldn't stand. He was arrogant, condescending, and a pretty terrible teacher in my wise and very accurate 14-year-old opinion. Therefore, I gave myself the excuse to blow him off, disrupt class, and I complained about him frequently. One day, he announced that we would write reports and he permitted us to write on any topic we chose. Wanting to aggravate him, I chose the topic of contraceptive options. Apparently, he didn't think this was appropriate for a ninth grade report, so he called my mom to discuss my behavior and my choice. My mom told him that she approved of my decisions to write about contraceptive options. He had, after all, given us the freedom to choose whatever topic we had wanted. She suggested that he talk to me directly about why I was being such a pain in his class. I listened to the whole conversation because back then, we used landlines and I was a pro at picking up the phone without anyone knowing. Mom, I cannot believe you just did that. I don't want to talk to him. I snapped at her after we both hung up the phone. I was so angry with her. I wanted her to tell him that he was a terrible teacher and to stop trying to make an example of me. I wanted her to fix my problem for me, but she didn't. She smiled calmly and said, welcome to this thing called life. You purposefully chose that topic to make him mad. Now you have to deal with the consequences of your choice. And stop listening to phone calls that aren't for you. The next day, Mr. Staten pulled me aside and asked me to meet him after school. At 3.30 p.m., we sat at a picnic table bench outside of the main building, and I'll never forget my classmates streaming by, giggling and whispering about why I was sitting there talking to a teacher. I was embarrassed and I wanted to run. Oh, God, I thought to myself, they're going to think I'm such a loser or that I'm in trouble. Ugh. But I didn't run. I didn't have the guts to. Partly because I knew I was in the wrong, and partly because I didn't want to get in trouble. And mostly, deep down, I wanted Mr. Staten to think I was a good student. As we talked, something amazing happened. We actually started to have a conversation, a good conversation. I told him how I felt about his class and the way he talked to us. I told him I felt dismissed by him and that he was condescending. He told me he thought I was wasting a golden opportunity to learn and become a better writer. He told me that I was wasting my leadership skills by misbehaving and setting a poor example. By the end of the meeting, we both apologized for our actions and the way we treated each other. We both agreed to do better. And he let me write my report on contraceptive options, which I did, and it proved to be a very educational opportunity in more ways than one. As I have matured, aka gotten older, I've realized how profound this experience was. I've learned the power of facing conflict head on, advocating for myself, and taking feedback even when it was really hard to hear. I learned how being accountable for my actions and how I engage in hard conversations empowered me to make a different choice in my life. I learned not to be a victim of my circumstance. Instead, I saw how to change my circumstance to make my life better. And I was only 14. I recalled this story in the darkest of, my, of times when I was at rock bottom. I committed back then to channel that moment from my 14-year-old self every time I started to blame, deflect, or play the victim. If I could do this back then, I can do it now, I told myself. 
This is what self-leadership is all about. I'll have another story for you. Early in my days as a CEO, I had a rocky relationship with a gentleman on my board of directors. I felt he was hypercritical, condescending, and I rarely felt supported by him. I secretly thought he didn't believe I could do the job because I was a woman, and a young woman at that. At the end of my first full year as a CEO, I negotiated my salary with the board. As you know, negotiating your salary is always nerve-wracking, but I was armed with data and prepared to ask for a significant increase. When I showed the compensation packages of CEOs in similar-sized companies, he replied, well, you're not really a CEO. I was stunned, then furious, then hurt. That night, I cried myself to sleep. I blamed him for being chauvinistic, and I was determined to remove him from the board. The next day, I woke up, and I felt better. Sleep always helps, and more rational. I thought back to the lesson Mr. Staten taught me, and I knew that blaming my board member would make me a victim, and I refused to be a victim. Instead, I want to be a self-leader. So I employed counterfactual thinking. According to Wiki, counterfactual thinking is a concept in psychology that involves the human tendency to create possible alternatives to life events that have already occurred, something that is contrary to what happened. Some call these alternative facts, but I use counterfactual thinking to challenge what I believe to be true, just in case it's not. I knew that blaming him would not reflect well on me and it wouldn't change the situation. I would still feel unappreciated and unhappy, so instead of trying to justify my feelings, I tried to see things from his perspective. Applying counterfactual thinking, I asked myself, what if he's right? Am I acting and performing like an experienced CEO? Is it unreasonable for him to think that the jump that I made from general manager to CEO was fast? Maybe I do have some things to learn. How do I approach this issue like a seasoned professional, a seasoned CEO? How do I self-lead through this? Instead of being angry and vindictive, I called him to seek to better understand what he meant and why he said it. I was thoughtful in the delivery of my message. I was nervous about having the conversation and I practiced what I wanted to say so I didn't blurt it out or worse, come across as demanding or aggressive. I didn't want my delivery to be as awful as his was. As we talked, he apologized for his choice of words and shared that he thought I was a brilliant leader, just inexperienced. I've been around the block a time or two, he said, and I know how hard it is to build a company. I want to support you, but it's not always easy. Sometimes you brush aside suggestions and minimize the difficulty of the road ahead, and it comes across as defensive and a bit arrogant. I want to see you succeed, and one way to do that is to use the experience of your board as a competitive advantage rather than getting defensive when we give you feedback. Wow, what a powerful message. I thanked him for his candor. In so many ways, he was right. Sure, his delivery of, you're not really a CEO, wasn't very effective, but I didn't use poor delivery as an excuse not to own it. Instead, I made a significant shift in how I worked with my board going forward, and I have a tremendous relationship with them. I use them as a competitive advantage, and I seek radically candid feedback from them and my team so I stay humble and accountable. And yes, that board member did leave the board and we continue to have a good relationship in the community. Look, owning it means that you can change it. If you wanna be successful, you must be accountable. Refuse to retreat, deny, ignore, or blame. Remember that things don't happen to you. They happen because of you. 
And you have the power to create a better outcome, but you have to step into it. You have to try, you have to show up and you have to be willing to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what am I doing to contribute to this situation? Am I going to make it better or am I going to make it worse? That is self-leadership. Another story I'd like to share is about self-care because self-leadership is also about self-care. In 2012, I was pregnant with my son and I knew I was pushing myself too hard. My calendar was full and I had little time for myself. I know that probably sounds familiar to many of you. I was busy and tired, also probably sounds familiar to many of you. And I was resentful towards the people and organizations I had overcommitted myself to. It was not a healthy place to be, especially as I entered motherhood. One fall day a few months before I was due, I broke down. I felt like a failure. I had so much on my plate that I was doing all of it mediocre. I wasn't good at anything. I called my mother in tears, sobbing about my situation. Now my mom has given me a lot of good advice over the years, but this one was exceptional. She said, only you can decide what's most important to you, but something has to give. If you could only be good at three things, what would they be? I would be a good mother and wife, a good CEO, and be in good shape mentally, physically, and spiritually. Then cut everything else out, she said. If only we're that simple. But it was. I did. I said no to everything that wasn't family, being a great CEO, and taking care of myself. You see, self-care is a discipline, not a luxury. Self-care is self-leadership. All of us at Stone Age share this value, as do I. We've woven it into everything that we do, and I actively encourage my employees to put their well-being first. We care deeply about safety, addressing mental health issues, and helping our employees live a fulfilled and healthy life. I often compare our team to a professional basketball team. Now, I'm terrible at basketball, just ask my son, and I only watch the NCAA playoffs, but some of my favorite leadership stories come from basketball coaches and players. You need to look at yourself as a member of a high-performing team that is in the playoffs. Every person on the team has a responsibility to show up as the best version of themselves. That means mentally and physically rested, in shape, and with a proper diet. I encourage you to consider yourself in the same light. Are you ready to perform? Is your team ready to perform? Are you doing what it takes to be a high performer? If not, why? Relentlessly protect your well-being. Relentlessly protect the well-being of your teammates so that you all can be ready to show up to win, ready to take on a challenge, ready to push yourself to achieve great things. Always remember that self-care is self-leadership and it's a discipline, not a luxury. I share these stories in hopes that you can see yourself in them. We all lose sight of the big picture. We're all guilty of having an inward mindset. We're all guilty of telling ourselves false stories that allow us to be victims of our circumstances. But we also all have the power to change it. You too can be an accountable, self-leading kind of leader. And being one will bring you a lot of success. So how can you practice being a strong, successful self-leader? Here are my five tips, and I use these every day. Number one, be responsible for understanding. It's easy to blame others for not sharing enough information or not telling you the why behind decisions. Instead of getting frustrated, ask. If you don't understand a decision, ask. If you don't see how the work you're doing is tied to the strategy, ask. If you don't understand why you were passed up for a promotion, ask. Take ownership of understanding. Number two, 
seek feedback. Trust me, everyone has feedback on things you could do better, even if they say they don't. You cannot be accountable unless you ask for feedback and take action on it. Here's an easy way to ask for feedback, especially if you're not comfortable. I really appreciate our working relationship and I wanna do a better job of supporting your efforts. What's one thing I can do to be a better teammate? It's a great place to start. Number three, own your mistakes and keep your commitments. Look, everybody screws up. God only knows how often I've done it and still will do it in the future. And it's okay if you do too. Admit your mistake, apologize, then commit to fixing it to go forward. And when you say you're going to do something, do it. The best self-leaders always follow through. Speak up. Withholding feedback, not sharing your ideas, or speaking your mind is choosing comfort over growth. Staying silent or worse, gossiping behind people's back deprives them of the opportunity to learn and help make things better. Number five take care of yourself. If there is anything that the pandemic taught us, it's that life can be fragile. Don't choose to live an unhealthy life. Your health and well-being are your responsibility. Choose wisely because your longevity depends on it. When you choose to be a self-leader, you empower yourself to be part of a solution, building trust, resolving issues, and gaining a deeper understanding of yourself and those you work with. Being accountable feels better in the long run, even if it's a painful process, because it builds self-esteem and resilience. There is nothing more powerful than speaking up, asking questions, solving your own problems, and fixing your mistakes. And remember that self-leadership is a journey. There is no final destiny, and we are all works in progress. So celebrate your wins and enjoy the journey. Okay, question from the episode comes from someone who follows me on social media. Uh, She asks, Carrie, how do you calm your nerves when you go on stage or in front of the camera? I hate public speaking, but I want to get better at it. There's all kinds of tips online about public speaking, uh, but I'll share mine uh, in hopes that they help you for whether it's at a company meeting or uh, getting on stage. I've been doing a lot of speaking for organizations and companies these days, and it never fails that every time I'm still nervous. So here are a few things that I do to calm my nerves. One, I write, I write out what I will say, whether it's a paid speech or an important message at a company meeting. Being prepared will always make you feel more confident. Number two, I always take deep breaths before I start. Breathing is the best way to ground yourself and it helps me feel so much better. And if I'm really nervous, I go out for a quick walk. Fresh air and movement always make me feel better. It helps keep things in perspective too. Number three, I talk about things that I know about and I always share personal stories. It's amazing what happens to you when you recall a story. It puts you at ease and allows people to connect with you. Number four, talk slower than you think that you need to. It allows you to breathe and collect yourself as you you talk and people can understand you better. Number five, don't be afraid to use note cards and look at them if needed. Everyone understands that you wanna stay on point, so use them if you need them. Smile. Smiling when you talk makes everyone feel more at ease, including you. And finally, don't be too hard on yourself if you mess up. It's okay. We all miss a word or have to repeat ourselves because we fumble a sentence. People connect with humanity, not polish. You don't have to be perfect. 
All right, those are my tips of the episode. Hopefully that was helpful to you. I so enjoyed hosting you on this episode of Reflect Forward and I'll see you at the next one. And if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, rate, write a review. It's always helpful. Thanks so much and have a great day.